Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. All right. Well, let's begin. Um, We as a church have been talking about prayer for the last uh, four weeks. This will be week number four. Uh, We have been hopefully taking some time every day to get away from distractions and just pray a simple prayer that God would break our heart for the things that his heart breaks for. If you are just joining us now, you can start your own 40-day period. Um, the, The point being, and God doesn't need 40 days, but the idea, the point being, really this singular prayer that we would ask God to reorient our life in a way that would honor Him in terms of what are the things that concern God and that they would also concern us. So that's the big idea. And within that, we've been talking about prayer in a variety of different ways. So tonight, we're going to talk about praying for the lost. And I'm going to start with a, a, uh, I don't know what to call this, a pastoral confession, we'll call it. So last night, uh, I was at a barbecue that was hosted by somebody else, a friend. There was a group of us there, and we were making comments about um, the, the hot dog marshmallow sticks that had been made, and, and uh, I made some comment about God in there, and then this, um, this woman of the host family said, uh, I, th- I think what I said was, hey, I think that's why God made willow trees, is so we'd have a good, you know, we could make a good hot dog stick that way, Right. And uh, she said, oh, that's what you're teaching at your church. And she was making a joke, and we laughed, and we went on with our conversation. But what was happening internally was the fact that I have had on my to-do list for at least six months to go and have lunch with this gentleman who was hosting the party and talk to him about... Um, his spiritual life. Uh, Not as though I was going to teach him something about his spiritual life, but to ask him questions about his spiritual life, his background, how he grew up, and get to know his story in that part of his life because I have been developing a really good friendship with him, but I have not got to the point where we have had that conversation but I have the opportunity to have the conversation because he has actually made several comments opening the door 
for me to move in. And I haven't moved into that. And it just, it convicted me last night as I made that comment. Obviously, it wasn't a spiritual conversation, even though we did mention the name of God. Uh, It just reminded me that I'm at least six months behind. And so I got to thinking in regards to uh, this sermon, this idea of praying for the lost, being concerned for people who don't know Jesus. Uh, I got to thinking about that, and, and I wonder what is going on within me that I would let something like that go for a six-month, at least six-month period of time. I probably had the opportunity before that. It's just, it finally made it onto my to-do list six months ago. And the, the thing that came to mind was uh, a word, entropy. Do we have any physicists in the room? Maybe you've heard this word before. Uh, but entropy is a physicist way of describing something losing its energy and then going out of control or losing its structure, um, you know, like degrading over time. Something, you know, just kind of, I'm trying not to use slang here, um, something going poorly over time, something losing its energy, losing its structure moving into chaos. And I thought, you know, I think that's something that happens to Christians. Assuming my experience is common to all of us, which it may not be, you may be an absolute superstar saint. And if you are, I want to get close to you and uh, figure out how that works. But if this experience is common to Christians, then we, I think we all experience this, where there is a time in our lives where we are very, very excited about engaging in spiritual conversations with other people. We are very, very concerned for other people's spiritual plight. And so in those situations, we're bold, we're courageous, we're, we are interceding, uh, we are diving into that, we're putting our full energy, effort, and passion into that. But then over time, because of spiritual entropy, uh, we begin to fall out of that. Other things begin to creep into our lives and become... Uh, more important than that. So I'm hoping to help myself and help you, if that's the case, if there's been spiritual entropy, and if we have gotten to a place where um, we're not as concerned about this, maybe as the scriptures would call us to be. So concerning praying for the lost, did you know that the Bible does not, there's no direct command to pray for people who don't know Jesus. I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds to review your knowledge base of Scripture and think if you can come up with a verse where it says, pray for lost people. I'm not going to wait for 30 seconds in silence. But I did a a quick search, relatively quick search, and you can't actually find this, but we hear about it often at church. One One of the commands in Scripture is that we should pray for our enemies, so we would assume those are lost people, but that's kind of a a different conversation. Uh, We're talking about praying for our friends, our coworkers, people around us that we're in relationship with, and praying that 
God would save their souls. So um, on your own, if you'd like, search the scriptures and just see if you can find a command to pray for people who are lost. So why do we talk about this? So I started asking myself the question, where do we get the biblical foundation of praying for lost people? Are you ready? Yeah, four people who are ready. Okay, that's totally fine. Uh, let's start in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, at prayer at noon today, we read this entire chapter. I'm just going to read the last two verses. This is a prophecy, uh, 700 years preceding Christ, describing the ministry of Jesus. And these are the last two verses. It says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many. And here it is in the last line. And interceded for rebels. And so we are reminded here, told here, that part of Jesus' ministry would be that he would intercede for people who are rebelling against God, for people who, would, who are far from God, that that would be part of Jesus' ministry. If we move to uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus is on the cross. Uh, we know this story because we talk about it multiple times every Easter season. We know that Jesus on the cross, just before giving up his spirit, he prays to the Father that the Father would forgive those who are crucifying him and would not hold their sins against them. And so we see this prophecy in Isaiah uh, in, a, in a very clear way fulfilled, that Jesus is interceding for those who are lost. And so there may not be a direct command for us to pray for the lost, but we see this exemplified over and over and over. The best example, of course, being Jesus. Um, I'll give you some other examples. Stephen, in uh, Acts chapter 7, he has been brought before the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin is very committed to stamping out this Christian sect, and so they are going to take care of business. Stephen has uh, rebuked them in the most powerful and profound ways, going through the history of Israel and reminding them that the Jewish people have a history of totally ignoring God's clear revelation and invitation. And they have this history of rebelling against him, running from him, and being enemies of God. And they do not like what Stephen says. Stephen has this in their presence, has this vision of, of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's what puts them over the top uh, because he is in that moment claiming that Jesus is co-equal with God. And this is a problem for them. They commit to stoning him. That's where we pick up the story. Uh, verse 57, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. That is Paul, as we know. Um, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. 
And with that, he died. He died interceding on behalf of these people who were rebelling in the most egregious possible way in that moment. And so we have these incredible examples of people praying for the lost. In Romans chapter 9, we see the example of Paul, the first three verses. He says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Um, I think Paul knows theologically that this is not a possibility, but in trying to express his passion, his concern for his lost Jewish brothers and sisters, he is willing to have himself cut off eternally from Christ in order to see them come to a place of salvation. So, Hopefully you're starting to get a flavor of this idea of praying for people, interceding for people, standing in the gap for people who are far from God. Whether they're in our family, whether they are co-workers, whether they are people in our social network, or even if they are enemies, or even if they are enemies who are currently, presently attacking us. Our prayer should be for them and for their salvation. In Romans chapter 10, the first three verses, uh, we see an example of Paul praying. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. So we see this example of Paul praying into their situation. Paul sees where they're going in the wrong directions. He, he sees what they can't see. And so he's praying passionately for them to be able to see, to, for God to lift the veil from their eyes. So... Uh, these are the places that we get the idea of praying for people who are lost. Uh, in Acts uh, 28, Paul is on trial. And at the end of his presentation, at the end of making uh, his case in Acts chapter 26... Festus um, stops him and tells him he's insane for trying to convince himself and Agrippa to become Christians. He's on trial for causing a disturbance, uh, for potentially beginning a revolution, and the guy overseeing the trial says, stop it, you're insane. There's no way you're going to convince me here and now 
to become a Christian. And uh, this is, well, verse 28. It says, Agrippa interrupted him. It's Felix and Agrippa. They're overseeing the trial together. He said, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? This is Paul's reply. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. So, uh, that's just a sampling of the examples in Scripture where we see this intercession for people who do not know Jesus. So, uh, I'm going to give you just some, uh, a couple of Christian history examples. One is John Knox, uh, who is uh, the, uh, the famous leader of the Scottish uh, revival. Uh, this um, powerful Christian leader uh, prayed this prayer uh, to God over and over, give me Scotland or I die. Uh, he made a regular habit of interceding on behalf of the people of Scotland. And was very dramatic about it before God. Give me Scotland or I die. Um, George Whitfield, who uh, was a very famous uh, revival preacher, very famous for open air uh, preaching. Um, he he uh, led a revival in Britain and then he came to the United States. He actually had significant interaction with Benjamin Franklin, uh, one of my uh, favorite, if not my favorite, uh, founding fathers of uh, the U.S., uh, but uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, was contracted to print George Whitfield's um, sermons, and so actually got to know uh, Whitfield quite well. Uh, he was uh, amused with Whitfield's teaching as a as a science project, it seemed like. And so uh, one of the things he did, for example, was he calculated how many people. George Whitfield could effectively speak to because he had heard a rumor that he had preached to 25,000 people. I'm going off topic here a little bit, I'm just realizing. Um, but uh, for those of you who are history buffs, uh, he had heard this rumor that he could speak to 25,000 people. And so uh, Benjamin Franklin showed up to one of these um, field revivals, open air preaching events, and he paced off the length, like while it was going on, he paced off the length uh, to the person furthest away and he did his mathematical calculations and he realized that it would be very possible for George Whitfield to reach with his vocals 30,000 people. Uh, apparently Whitfield had quite a voice and uh, because of how things would be set up and so forth, he calculated that he could be heard by 30,000 people at one time. So an extraordinary thing. Um, Anyways, I'm going too much into my Benjamin Franklin biography right now. But uh, George Whitfield prayed, Oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Give me souls or take my soul. And so you see this thing where people are putting themselves on the line before God and wrestling with God for the souls of the people around them, for their family, for their friends, for their coworkers for the people in their nation. Uh, one more biblical example. Exodus 32 and verse 32. Uh, Moses gets the Ten Commandments from God, comes down off Mount Sinai, sees that there is this uh, pagan stuff going on, and breaks the stone tablets, and... Um, 
punishes the people of Israel, I guess, I'll say it that way, um, and goes back to intercede before God. Uh, God tells him that he is going to wipe out Israel. He's going to wipe out everybody, and he's going to start fresh with Moses. Moses can be the new Abraham. If you think about it for a minute, that's kind of a cool offer from God to Moses, right? Moses has this incredible opportunity to be Abraham. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? How does Moses respond? Exodus 32 and and, uh, verse 32, uh, he intercedes on behalf of the people of Israel and essentially says, take my life instead. And so we see all of these examples of this willingness for us to lay down our life on behalf of other people and to do it in intercessory prayer. Um, So, um, the challenge for us is uh, compassion, actually moving into this where we care about uh, the people around us so much that we are willing to lay our lives down. Um, So here's a a quote from an old Puritan teacher, uh, Richard Baxter. I'm sure nobody knows. But uh, anyways, here we go. He says, Oh, if you have the hearts of Christians or of men in you, let them yearn towards your poor, ignorant, ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step betwixt them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting ready to seize them, and if they die unregenerate, they are lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? If you believe not the word of God and the danger of sinners, why are you Christians yourselves? If you do believe it, why do you not bestir yourself to the helping of others? Sometimes I read some weird things uh, and they convict me. And that particular one did. Uh, Essentially, if we really do believe what we say we believe, because that's a lot of what we do is get together and agree that we believe on certain things, both on Sunday morning and in Bible studies and in our conversations with other Christians. We get together and we agree that we believe certain things. Or we're friends based on the fact that we agree that we believe on certain things. So if we really believe the things we say we believe, then we ought to be highly concerned, highly concerned for the people around us. Um, It's very easy for me, and I gave this example earlier. I started off with my own confession. It's very easy for me to assume that I will have ample opportunity in the future to have spiritual conversations with all the people in my life that I need to have conversations with. That is a poor assumption. And uh, my prayer for myself, for us, is that we would stop making that assumption and that we would take advantage of every opportunity that we are given. I'm gonna read that passage here in, uh, in just a moment. Uh, Colossians 4. And starting in verse 2, Paul gives us 
a, uh, a roadmap to how we, how we ought to operate concerning others and uh, especially those who are lost. He starts off with, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And I'll just stop here and say in my particular story, I think I've been doing that in this particular case. I think I've been living wisely. This person, I'll give you a little bit more of the story. This person has said, Hey, we're thinking about coming to church sometime. Just giving you an idea of how open the door is for me to have this conversation with this person. Okay? It's the second part that I'm failing on. Where it says, and make the most of every opportunity. It could be that I'm, I am and he is and his family is one phone call away and one lunch appointment away from his eternity being changed, from his family's eternity being changed. And I know that God is not dependent upon me, but it's possible that God is depending on me. If you get that. Verse 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That gives everybody permission to always have the right answer regardless of the question. To respond with grace. Um, we talk about this often, this idea of uh, redemptive friendships. Um, we have two interns uh, this year with us, Ross Atherton and Jonathan Ohl, who's back there behind the lights. And uh, they have just procured employment. And one of the ideas behind their internship is that they get jobs in the community. And this uh, allows them to begin to interact with people who don't know Jesus. So it's their way to uh, experience people who are outside the church and to begin to develop friendships with them. And the idea is that over the summer as they're here, they're able to help one individual move one step closer to Jesus. And so uh, I'm excited to, to uh, see what happens uh, through through God working through them, uh, but it's a reminder to all of us that this is what we are called to do daily, not just our interns, not just your pastor who is currently not doing well, at least on one particular front that I've mentioned, uh, but for all of us that this is what it's about. In uh, 1 Corinthians, oh sorry, I'm getting ahead of my, myself. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and uh, starting in verse uh, 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. How many of you have heard that passage of Scripture before? Okay. And how many of you think, how many of you process it this way? 
mean, like in your true heart. You don't have to raise your hand because, you know, we don't want to admit that we're less than perfect here, right? But how many of you process it this way? I'm off the hook. All I have to do is pray for some upstanding Christians to do it well. I just need to pray for God to raise up really like powerful Christian evangelists to go out and bring in the harvest. Like I said, you don't have to raise your hand. But you probably haven't been aware of what comes next after Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for workers to be sent out into the field. This is what happens next. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. And then it lists the names. The thing that comes immediately after this prayer for God to raise up workers is that Jesus commissions them to go and do the work. And so this is not a get-off-the-hook kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer where you say, God, raise me up to do the work. God, empower me, equip me to do the work. God, I am willing to put my life on the line. I am willing to give up my own entertainment, my own hobbies, my own career, my own family time, my own everything. I'm willing to give it up in order to see people one for Jesus. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everything, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Um, this is the heart of the gospel, that we would be so in awe of what God has done on our behalf, that we would live lives that would reflect what he has done for us. Which includes our willingness to lay down our life on behalf of the people around us. Certainly the people around us that we love and care about who don't know Jesus, but also the people around us who we're just associated with. Even including the people around us who we don't like. Second Peter uh, chapter 3 and 3 through 9 reads, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. In other words, we talk about Jesus, but is he real? Is he there? Is this going to happen? 
They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And so we see the heart of God for not bringing wrath when people think it should be brought. We see the heart of God for not moving in the ways that people think he should move because he is waiting patiently. He is waiting patiently patiently. He is waiting for us to, we've well, probably seen this at an airport or heard this on the, uh, you know, the PA system at the airport or in another public place. If you see something, say something. Anybody ever seen that? If you see something, say something. And the idea is hey, we want you to have permission here in this place, this airport, to enter into the awkward, to do the uncomfortable, to buck social norms. And if you see something, say something. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. We just want to be safe. And it may be that for you and I, it's awkward for us to press into somebody else's story a little bit. Maybe it's awkward for us to try to persuade somebody to think about life a little bit differently. Maybe it's bucking a cultural norm or seems politically incorrect for us to disagree in a graceful way with a common line of thinking in order to coax somebody into thinking about a reality in a different way. But if we care about the people around us, we will say something. If we're concerned about the safety not just of ourselves but if we're concerned about the safety of everybody when we see something we're going to say something now it's very possible that in this process somewhere you'll probably mess some things up or at least feel like you've messed some things up because well we're in a spiritual battle I don't know if you're aware of that or not. We could go over some other scripture passages and talk about that. But we're in a spiritual battle. And this is not an easy walk. This is not an easy thing to step into. And when we decide to enter into a conversation about spiritual matters, when we decide to enter into that priestly role where we are going to attempt to persuade somebody to consider the invitation of Jesus, we are stepping onto the battlefield. And when we step onto the battlefield, the enemy is aware of that. 
The enemy is very aware of it because when we step onto the battlefield, Jesus steps onto the battlefield with us. And the enemy is tracking the movements of Jesus and he is very afraid of Jesus. In fact, Jesus has authority over him. That is why in Colossians 4 and verse 2, Paul begins his instruction about how to engage in this process with the instruction to be alert and pray. Be alert and pray. Because that is where we get our marching orders. That is where we get our confidence. That is where we build the compassion that is required to actually move out of our habits, out of our patterns, out of our comfort zone, and move into the awkward, move onto the battlefield. So, as we consider all of these different things we've talked about in terms of praying, as we consider being relentlessly persistent, as we consider being broken before God about our own sins, about the sins of our people, about what is going on in our world, as we do all of those things, as we get our hearts and minds in the right place take care of our spiritual stuff, you know, turn from our evil ways, humble ourselves, and seek God as we do all those things. I encourage you to step onto the battlefield on behalf of your friends, your coworkers, your roommates, your people in your social network, people that you live with and minister with and play with, the people around you. Step onto the battlefield on their behalf. Bring their names, bring their lives before the king who is concerned deeply for them. He is concerned for their eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us. We're desperate for you to move in our lives so that our focus is shifted off of, you know, even in the middle of an incredible Alaskan summer, that it would be shifted off of that as our primary objective to enjoy as much as possible that it would be shifted towards kingdom purposes that our heart would break as your heart breaks for people who will spend an eternity without you help us father we pray in jesus name amen Uh, if you would please stand Uh, Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. 
Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.